Comics Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 453. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Well, hello there, Noah. Guess what? We have ourselves, well, a show that's going to be rough for Chris. It's going to be pretty good for Noah and rough for Chris. We're going to own up to our 2016 predictions, play back what we thought was going to happen, and own up to how it went. You guys asked for it. <laughs> you said yes. So, okay, we're going to do it, unfortunately. But in the news segment, we're going to talk about some good news for Steam, some important stuff for Open EMR, interesting things about where Android apps are going to be running soon and all kinds of stuff. Plus, we have kind of an overall theme that we'll be really landing on in the feedback section for the whole episode. And I'm going to wait to tell you what it is till the end of the episode, just so I don't upset Noah, because I think he wants to surprise you. Yeah? Are you okay if I tell him now? Go right ahead. Okay. All right. Well, because it kind of flows right into our... Picks! Yeah, the picks, picks, the yeah, picks. Yeah, That's yeah. not the way you set it yeah. up, though. You set it up wrong. So I, I know because we're doing something that flows right in, Noah Sense. It's the ultimate Linux desktop, and it's all about building a bulletproof Linux. Now, that's where we're going with this, is there's going to be, along with owning up to our predictions this week, an overall arcing theme to this episode about bulletproofing Linux. Both Noah and I recently had our main workstations that we always sit down at with the expectation of working. They both blew up. Um, not going to say Arch. Um, did that just get awkward? Did that just get weird? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so anyways, we have been kicking back and forth in our own, you know, Telegram thread about how would you build a Linux distribution that's bulletproof, something where very little failure is likely to occur from an update or for an application changing or, or, or application getting an update. How would you build something like that? And so we're going to kick it off with the Runs Linux. Uh, this is, how would you say, Frizzell? Jesse Frizzell's? I just said Jesse F. Good call. Jesse F's ultimate Linux build. Over the past couple of years, he set out to create the ultimate Linux on the desktop experience. And he's got a whole bunch of stuff in here, but uh, the short version is base Debian OS with kind of a container approach for a lot of applications, which I cringed at originally, but have been thinking more about recently. And I even kind of brought it up in last week's episode of the show at the end. Um, and I got some good feedback from people, so thank you for that. So he says uh, currently he's using X11, but he's going to be moving to Wayland. Everything is in containers. The problem with Docker and RunC is they, uh, today is they're not, uh, they, they must run as root. So that's something that uh, you need to consider. So uh, I don't know. I'm not sure, so sure how I feel about that at the moment. But uh, there's probably a lot of different ways. Also virtualization. I'm still looking into this myself. He says uh, also that uh, he looked at core OS as a possible strategy to go with. I don't know. This is a fascinating theory that we'll talk more about throughout the whole freaking show. But bulletproof Linux seems to be on a couple of people's mind. Now, where did you did you did you come across this uh, just while we were talking about it? Did you go do some digging? What happened? Yeah, I, <clears throat> I can't remember exactly where I came. I, I, was somewhere in the in in my stumbling around, I found it. But you know, it's one of those things where there's a lot of people that do some really cool things with setting up their boxes, and but then when they go to document it, one of two things happen: either the documentation is woefully underwhelming and they just basically say yeah i set up a box and it worked really well or they go into like extreme levels of detail that makes their blog post unreadable and this this is a quick read and i think he does a really good job of hitting 
the important points if you want to replicate his setup. Yeah, and uh, also give you enough information to know how to do that. Also, it's interesting that he compares a little Debian and CoreOS. So if you're if you're just kind of looking at maybe going like with Debian stable or something like that, I see the chat room also talking about Gen two right now. You in the chat room with the Gen two stuff. I don't even understand. But before we go any further, maybe I'll just build a desktop in the cloud over at DigitalOcean.com. DigitalOcean.com. When you create an account, use our promo code. Here's the thing. All one word, like you're slurring it. Here's the thing. You apply that, you get a $10 credit. Now you're cooking with gas. Three cents an hour gets you a hell of a rig. Lots of performance, all SSD drives, regardless of the system you get. 40 gigabit e-connections into the hypervisors. I love the setup because you can do monthly, you can do hourly, you can expand as you need it up. They go cra- They have crazy high memory droplets that have like nearly 230, 240 gigs of RAM. I mean, it's, it's way, way up there. Plus block storage, you can attach as you need it up to 16 terabytes of SSD storage on your droplet. And then an interface that makes managing and doing all of this possible for total rookies or longtime experts. DigitalOcean.com. Go there and check out their brand new, well, I guess I don't, I guess it's not launched yet. So sign up. Go there and sign up, I should say, for their new load balancing System. This is so cool, man. Load balancers, of course, automatically distribute incoming traffic across your infrastructure, and you can manage it all right there in the DigitalOcean control panel. No API, nothing that kind of crazy stuff. It's just going to help improve your availability and response time. And they have sta- they have data centers all over the world: New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany, India, and they're bringing more online all the time. Then they back it all up with just an amazing set of documentation. Some of the best on the web. Really good. Really, really good performance, really good customers, I mean, good, great company, great customer service, great community, great UI, great API. They've really nailed this setup. And I really like that they originally invested in SSDs before everybody else. So now it's just like everything's standard. Everybody's had to keep, catch up. DigitalOcean really kind of just sort of blew them all away. Look at all those data centers. I should do one in Singapore. Then I would feel like a baller, Noah. <laughs> Do you have any outside the U.S. right now? I have one in London. No, no I don't. I, I, I did once just to try it, I think. But I, uh, for the most part, I don't have any reason to access data on the other side of the ocean. Yeah. So it's not very useful to me. But check uh, this out. Did you, you know, notice? Again? Did you notice you can speed test the data centers on their website? So you know what? <clears throat> Look at that. I'm gonna. Yeah, which I, one does faster? Yeah. I'm gonna speed I test the San Francisco two. Day. I, I didn't know that. That is awesome. I'm going to do a 100 megabyte file test from my from my Comcast connection right now over to DigitalOcean. That is so freaking cool. Huh. They got a great setup. They got a great setup. They got the load balancers coming soon if you want to sign up. They got awesome documentation over in their community section. One of the things I like is they have a really great community. And the reason why that matters to you as a customer is their community is writing documentation and the good stuff. DigitalOcean's hired professional editors. They bring in the good stuff written by the community, pay those community members, and then edit it all up. Here's how to create a cluster of Docker containers. Perfect for Noah on Ubuntu 16.04. Lots of really good stuff. Oh, there's some CentOS stuff on here, too. I love it. Excellent. They got FreeBSD stuff, Debian. Here's some Debian stuff on here. It's good. It's just so much good stuff. Digital. In fact, you don't even have to really be a digital. I'm not going to. Don't say it. Don't tell them Chris told you that. But... You don't really have to be a DigitalOcean customer to enjoy this stuff. You can still go to their website, check out what they have to offer, and explore the uh, documentation, too. And if you do sign up, use our promo code. Here's the thing. DigitalOcean.com. Big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. This came in just right over the weekend. Hot off the presses, Noah. It's a fork. KeyPass XC. Ding, 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 ding. The uh, Community Edition. 
And this one has some nice fancy features. I'm not a big KeePass user myself, but boy, if I had like worked in an IT department or if I had like a group of people in my, you know, I could actually see using it here at the studio now that I think about it. I could, I, I could see some uses for it. What about you? So I actually, I recently uh, switched from, I was using the built-in password manager for Firefox and I've actually yeah. just switched. And the thing is, oh really? I, uh, you know, th yeah, it actually, you know, the, the built-in form completion works great. But one of the things is, is my bookmarks were starting to get ridiculous, like literally hundreds of thousands of bookmarks inside of it and just getting it to sync was a pain. And so if I was going to discontinue using Firefox sync for that, then that kind of broke my whole, I mean, I could have continued to do it just for passwords. So that seemed kind of weird. So I decided I was going to manage bookmarks in one way and I was going to do passwords in another way. So I started using KeePass and, uh, and I'm using uh, Nextcloud to sync my KeePass database throughout all my machines. And so far, it's working fantastically, including on Android. It was actually KeePass on Android. And so when I saw that there was a new fork of KeePass, it's kind of cool. The, the thing is, if you're using it on Arch, one thing that's really important, every other distro, when you install KeePass X, it installs KeePass 2. And on Arch, there is they still have KeePass, and then you have to choose to install KeePass 2. And I thought... Nextcloud had corrupted my KeePass database because I had installed the wrong version. It just, <clears throat> yeah, it's a database incompatibility. Yeah. So this is a yeah, community. But then it works. KeePass XC, C for community, is a fork of KeePass X, which aims to incorporate mm -hmm. the stalled pull request features and bug fixes that never made it into the main KeePass X repository. Additional features, mm -hmm. KeePass HTTP support for use with PassFox. Uh, the, uh, and, the, and, the, and that uh, was a big Chrome thing Pass. for me was because, uh, so yeah, sorry. So that was a big thing for me. I no longer, it no longer auto-completes and the tie-in to Firefox obviously doesn't mm, work. And so yeah. I'm hoping that this fixes that and I'll be able to actually use it now. That's pretty cool. I mean, they seem to be off to a good start. It looks like a core team of three, um, which is probably reasonable. I would love to always see stuff like this get audited by third parties and stuff like that, but you can find it at, uh, wow, that's a heck of a URL, keypassxreboot.github.io. Or just get the link in the show notes if if you like. Good pick, though. I think that's fresh off. Isn't that just fresh off the uh, presses? As I, I think it was. I was traveling this weekend, but I think as I was coming in, I I was checking the subreddit and I saw people uh, submitting that. So we we pledged to kick off the distribution of the week, and uh, I guess mm -hmm. we were supposed to do it last week. And uh, <laughs> I thought it started this week. So <laughs> Chris is bad. Chris is bad. And I thought this is going to be a this is going to be a challenge because one of the things I want to do in the distribution of the week is I would love to highlight distributions that a lot of you don't know about or at least haven't tried. And I I don't know if we're going to be able to do that every single week. And so I thought I would also amend this and no I you feel free to to mm -hmm. Share any input you like. Uh, you know, we can do this if you want to change it. But I thought we could do is not only distributions that we really haven't heard a lot of before, but maybe we'd also do distributions that deserve another look or need an update from us, like something that. Yeah. yeah. So I thought maybe we'd kick off the distribution of the week with a distribution that is personally important to me for two reasons. Number one, it's when I embrace mispronouncing distribution names. So there's there's that. Uh, number two, we haven't really talked about it since 2011, and it's still going strong. They had a release at the beginning of the month. Ladies and gentlemen, our first distribution of the week, Shaka Raka Bing Bang Linux. It's a GNU slash Linux distribution with an emphasis on KDE and Qt that focuses on simplicity from a technical standpoint and free software. 
it's not just like a fork of arch. It's not like Manjaro or Anagros. It is its own beast. Shakaraka 2016.02, the Ian edition. Oh, 2016. <laughs> I I thought I thought that I thought it was not 2016 anymore. It's 2017. Well, still, what are you gonna do? It's still it's still worth a look. It's got Plasma 5.5 in there. It's got your uh, Kernel 4.2s in there, but it's been updated offs. It's got the System Ds and the Cute Fives, so you can go check it out at uh, shakarakabingbanglinux.org or get a link in the show notes. What do you think of the first distro of the week? No, are you excited? Do you think it was one to give attention to or or was it a tactical error? Go. No, no, I, th- I think it's good. I think that sometimes the, the, the ones that are the most interesting and they already have a lot of the attention, right? And so I think it's kind of the ones yeah. that are that are out on the uh, yeah. on, the, on the periphery that yeah. we can pull back in like, and say, hey, check this. Out. Hey, it's still going. Um, like they're still is- like they're still their official uh, releases was in 2016, but uh, as of right now, you can get Plasma 5.8.5 in there. They've they've just pushed out an update uh, January 5th to a lot of stuff in the distribution. So they're still working on it. They're still going. They're still pushing it. It's like if somebody were to take uh, an Arch Linux as like this base that you start from. And then totally mm-hmm. go off on your own direction with your own repos, your own packaging, your own themes, your own approach to everything, and and deliver it and maintain it and update it on your own. So it's not like it's rolling in a in a sense, but they they control the release valve and they're they do it in right. they do it in stages. So uh, check it out. You can find a link in the show notes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And please do consider submitting a distribution that you think could use some attention. Something that we haven't talked about a lot. Or maybe even better is something that's doing something unique. I would love to see something mm-hmm. that's not really in the mainstream. Just for uh, we could do we could do some mainstream ones too. I guess I I'm okay with that. But I would like to see something that maybe not a lot of people have heard of. Something else maybe people don't really know, and I want to mention it right here, right now, because it's like mm-hmm. last I don't know if it was the week before. There were some weeks where the live show is way better than the actual show because there's all kinds of stuff that comes up in the live show or there's just more things we talk about. And whenever possible, which is almost every single week, I am posting the entire uncut live show, which is usually much longer but much more entertaining. What? I know. Uh, That's crazy. For our patrons. And we have a new Patreon page. We've changed it. It's patreon.com slash Signal now. Which, uh, which is to better emphasize the fact that this is for all of the productions. So not only do you get access to this show's live stream, but several other shows' live stream recordings, which is a, which is a great perk. But also you are really taking place in something that's helping tip the scale towards community funding versus sponsorship funding. And the more the scale tips that way, the more the network goes that way. And so we're really hoping that people uh, identify that w- what we're doing here is trying to create something that's created and funded by the listeners and viewers. It's like a really big deal, I, at least I hope, because I want to do this for another 10 years, and it'd be amazing if in 10 years it was almost all entirely funded. I'd love to do it before then, but at some point I'd love to just see it almost all entirely funded by the audience. And this Patreon platform, not only is it a really standardized way to do it, which is great because more and more open source projects are going with Patreon, so once you get an account, you can help fund them and set limits so it doesn't get crazy. It's really nice to centralize it all. But it also gives us a platform to, to give you some perks and incentives like access to the live stream and goodies like that. Patreon.com slash Signal if you'd like to help the production throughout 2017 and tip the scale for a little bit away from sponsorships and uh, towards community funding and, of course, 
there's only really one way to do that, and that's with your participation, patreon.com slash Jupiter Signal. Mr. Noah, even as a host, you are a patron, which is... Uh, I am. Well, here's, there, here's the thing. First of all, I love getting... Like, <laughs> I love getting, like... Little things in the mail, I feel like the it's swag. like Christmas. Oh, you're in the swag club even, today. dude. Look at you. Well, of course I'm in the swag club. And here's the here's the great thing. Like, this this is a collector's item now, this Tech Talk Today coffee mug. You can't get those anymore. And then the other thing I like is I actually, I use it as a, as a, as a, um, the as feed? like to, to critique myself, right? I want to see the entire feed. See, yeah. Like, I'll, during, during a segment or whatever, I'll look at a specific place and be like, if I move the monitor here, did this, and then I get that, that, because you post the feed basically, what? 10 minutes after we get off the air. As fast as I can. Yeah, it depends on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing I've noticed, the other thing I've noticed you use it for is sometimes, because, you know, you and I, we talk a lot, but we usually are working on specific things. So there's a lot of going on Mm. at JB that you don't always know about. And, but the patrons often find out first. And so you get the email right. notification. Then I'll get a note. Then I'll get a telegram from you. Like, oh, that's awesome! Because <laughs> you'll find out at the same time the patrons do. Because you are one, <laughs> which is just about the same time everybody else finds out. Which is another nice perk of the Patreon. Patreon.com/slash Jupiter Signal. All right. So, like, just one more thing. Like I was saying about the distributions. I don't know if I made it clear. You can email your picks if you go to JupiterBroadcasting.com/slash contact and just want to email us in a distribution. Noah will probably be the one that catches those if you do it that way. We will probably both catch them if you submit it to the subreddit at linuxactionshow.reddit.com, or you could tweet at chrislas if you want to just send it my way, and I will try to tag it and just throw it into a collection. So those are different ways to get the distributions into the show that we're going to be talking about, and I I know that Noah and I are going to be looking now, but of course, if if we have we kind of have our lanes we look down. If you guys are you know distributions that maybe address different languages or different areas of the world where you, where they might have higher vis- visibility or just interesting ones you come across. I'd love to have a wide net to get some exposure to all of these. So that's my piece about that. Let's do the news. Hey, it's the news, and this episode is brought to you by... It's brought to you by Ting. Go to last.ting.com, las.ting.com, and take $25 off your first device or... $25 in service card. I had somebody tweet me over the weekend, hey, Chris, how do I get a deal at Ting? That's it right there, last.ting.com. You go there and start taking a little look. Maybe give them the sniff test. They have a how much would you save. Click that link right there and look around. You know what I really appreciate about Ting besides the fact that I can disable devices, I only pay for what I use, there's no contract, my average bill is like less than 40 bucks for three phones, I've got uh, I've got like a JB account that's got two MiFi's on there for, with Ting, you know, so I can uh, use the, my data's on the road. And I went to a place over the weekend where the GSM not so not so awesome because it was right in the valley of a big hill. You know what I did? I popped out the CDMA MiFi little devicey, turned that sucker on for the first time in like a month, and we had excellent data service for the whole weekend. So instead of having no connectivity, which is really not that bad because we just used it for small stuff too, it was perfect because we have all this local media. And I I don't like not unlike no, I do not like to stream Netflix and stuff when I'm on the road. So I like to play back local media for all my stuff, but I'm still able to browse the web, search for stories for last, tag a few things. It's really nice to have CDMA or GSM to choose from, and they have a super nice dashboard to manage all of it with apps that go on your phone or your tablets, you know, or your Linux box. They don't, they don't judge. It all works just fine in the web. 
They have really, really, really easy to understand contracts. And, I mean, terms, there's no contracts. There's no termination fees. It's really simple. It's really easy and straightforward. It's, it's the opposite of how the rest of the industry works. And I, what I love about it is every time one of us signs up, we influence the industry a little bit more. And they're, they are starting to respond, but they never can quite get there like Ting. Average monthly bill is $23? I mean, that's why, I mean, both Noah and I, it's, we, we get, you know, when we see something like this, we jump on it. Noah's, Noah, crazy, crazy Noah and crazy, crazy Chris are almost going on three years of Ting. We pay every month for our own service, even though they've been a, they've been a sponsor for like almost that entire time. We have been customers since before they were sponsors or right when they became sponsors around there because it was like, oh my God, this is amazing. We got to get them on here. And it was like right around that same time. And we have paid every single month for our bills. Um, Mm -hmm. Ting has once, uh, given me a MiFi to play with from time to time, but, uh, and they pay for that, but I don't use it very much for my personal stuff. I only use it for testing Ting services for these very spot reads. So it's, it's, it's something that we have used every single month. We've put our family on, we've put our businesses on, and it's been a great choice for both of us. Not only does it give us the flexibility to fire up a device when we need to, by just buying like a super cheap SIM card and then turning devices off. And it also makes mm-hmm. for great secondary devices. Like you have a tablet or an alarm system where you don't need to pay a big contract ch- for that. Or if you're like me and you don't want to pay a lot of money for a service, you don't really use much. I don't make a lot of phone calls. I, I really, when I do make a phone call, it's usually a very specific purpose and it's usually at my desk. There's no reason I need to have a bunch of cell phone minutes for that. Same with text messages. I love that Ting gives me that flexibility. Last.ting.com. And while you're there, even if you're not going to sign up yet, check out their blog for cord cutting stuff. They have a great post on Fire TV and Air TV. Two devices that were rocking it at CES. There's some really cool stuff coming for cord cutters. Not all of it's built into TVs either. Some of it's stuff you can add to your existing TV, which I'm always a big fan of. Check out their blog. Start by going to last.ting.com. This could be a big thing. I'm mostly excited about this because of who's doing the work. Uh, because he's he's done great work already, and we've talked about him several times now on this show. This is a tool that's being created by Marius Gaspard. I'm sorry, Marius, I always get your name wrong. He's the UbiPorts developer who's an all-around awesome dude. He done, he's done a presentation recently that we played on the show not too long ago. We've talked about him on Linux Unplugged and some of his work to get Ubuntu Touch on other devices. And now he's working on moving over Sailfish OS's Android compatibility layer called SF Droid to... Ubuntu Touch, possibly. To get it work, uh, he's created a hook into Surface Flinger, the Android display server, to allow window content to be drawn in Mir. It's kind of an interesting idea because it could be the bridge that brings Ubuntu Touch to people like Noah and I who want a secure OS that is more vettable, that is more community-driven, but there are certain applications that are only available for Android, like my bank, if I was going to use that, for example, or a navigation app that I use for when I'm in the RV. A lot of things actually for the RV uh, to set up things in the RV or for services are only available as apps on iOS and Android. And so if I got Ubuntu Touch as my main phone, I would have to keep an iPhone or an iPad or an iPod or an Android device or of some kind, like a tablet or a phone, just so I could use those apps that these things require. And this would give somebody like me the ability to say, well, there's these three things. I hate it, but I have these three things that these these different companies expect me to be able to use. If I could bring those over, sort of like Wine was for Linux back in the day, 
I have to have Outlook or I have to be able to run Internet Explorer so I can use this one web page to do my job, but I can do everything else under Linux. That same kind of thing, only now with Android apps on Ubuntu Touch. Interesting to you at all, Noah? A little bit. I still have some, I, my, my biggest, the biggest hurdle I have to get over is I have to find a way to get over the mental block in my mind that there can be a third party that can permeate the mobile market. And, and I'm having a hard time believing that. And I think as soon as I get past that mental block, then I, I then I'll be, my body will be ready to accept a Ubuntu phone. And if I can get my Android apps, that's fine. You know, for me, you know, I can honestly, like you were talking about, you know, my bank, I can do that online. I don't have any yeah. devices that require an app. I wouldn't let use me, that anyway. What if I and frame so it really, this way? As long as I have Telegram, a mail client, a web browser. What if it's not for the market and the world? What if it's just for people like you at AltaSpeed where you could say AltaSpeed is going to run Ubuntu Touch on Nexus phones and you, if you have to have these apps, you can use this to run your apps. But AltaSpeed uses Ubuntu Touch. doesn't matter what the market uses. Yeah, that's that's a, I mean that's cool. And you you've seen that with companies like Symbol, they have their own little uh, you Well, know, you do it. I mean, you do it now with Linux. You've done it. You did it when when everybody yeah. else was deploying Windows. You're like, "Well, AltaSpeed uses Linux." I mean, you've already did that in some yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I, I guess I could see it, you know, from from that kind of way being the fringe, you know, the, the rebels, so to speak, yeah. uh, the resistance. Uh, but, yeah, um, but, but mainstream would yeah, be, be – and you know what? Actually, you have a prediction coming up that talks about that. I want to make a big disclosure here. Early, early days, this is not something that's even really usable by anybody right now. It's just something he's working on that I think is fascinating. Uh, I think it's worth talking about now because it could be a game changer, but I think Noah's overall right, and we should probably save the rest – for the for the prediction segment, because who really knows where this is going to go? Anyways, and you talk about this whole market thing in there, so we'll go there. One other thing I wanted to note is there has been no news from CES from from, and that's not too surprising, but there's really been nothing out of Valve about Steam machines. Uh, Gabe just did an AMA, avoided all questions about Steam machines. Nobody's talking about Steam machines. No idea where Steam machines are going in 2017. But we do know that the Steam client is still getting some great updates. Improved interactions between the Steam runtime and the host distribution libraries, which is major, which should let Steam work out of the box with open source graphic drivers on modern distributions. This is a huge update. If you're using an older distribution or running into problems, you can use this uh, runtime variable to prevent previous behaviors, and we'll have it in the Gaming on Linux article that's linked in the show notes. Idle detection, so friend status will now automatically switch to away, which was always kind of annoying if you're sw if you're switching from Windows. My favorite feature, uh, update Vulkan Loader and Steam Runtime to enable Xlib support, which is awesome. It's great to see Vulkan rocking in there. And a bunch of other good stuff. Uh, Steam now also supports the Xbox 360 and Xbox One and generic X input controller configuration supports. And um, they've also changed where game folders uh, can be moved to. So that's if you're curious about that. That's in there as well. So there at least is some news on the on the desktops front, and it's actually really fantastic news. It's a really solid update. So I don't know about Steam Machines, but the Steam Client's doing well. Another fantastic update, new version of Inkscape, version 0.92. But there is a bit of a problem with the newness. What is it, Noah? So the older the the newer version of Inkscape can't open the vector graph, at least when it was released, couldn't open the vector graphics from older. Uh, files and so you had to manually modify these files so that they could yeah. be opened with the newer version. Now, if and, and I'm one of the I'm in the same boat this guy is. I have probably 
15, 20,000 vector graphics that I use for various different things. There's no way there's no, I would just, I would set up a box and I would just say, this is the Inkscape box. And I would just have an older version. That would have been my solution, but the Inkscape. And, and the thing is that the author of the article, he kind of rips into the open source community for a little bit. And then, at yeah. the end, he goes, I mean, within just a couple of days, the dev developers, they, they, you know, they, they were working with him and they said, oh, tell us about it and, and give us some feedback and then already have the problem fixed. It's just didn't, they didn't get the code into the next, you know, release cycle thing. So it's going to be in, in, in the version after that, that will, that will actually fix the problem. But, you know, they're right on top of it. And honestly, I mean, I just, I chalk that up to. You know, this is what, I mean, they can't, when an open source community, that's what you get. They release the thing, they get real world feedback, and then they make changes accordingly. And as long as they do that in a timely manner, I don't really see a problem with it. Yeah, so, I mean, his concern it. was, is that uh, it wasn't just that it couldn't perfectly open old SVGs, it was that it would also yeah. um, screw them up a little bit. That's kind of true, but as long as you closed without saving, it didn't right. actually do anything. Right, right. So I, I mean, I, I ran in the same. So thing, he's so. here's what he said. He said, "Should I be blamed for as an artist for using this tool for using floss? Now I can invest my time uh, of that of my contributions on pepper and carrot. If this, I, I guess, he's, I guess there's not. Anyways, he goes on to talk. He he really is. He really does frame this as an open source problem. Uh, I think most people listening would probably label this as an upgrading too soon problem. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't ever, ever, up, if I'm in the middle of a project, mm -hmm. I never update my video editor, ever. I never update my video right. editor in the, or, or my OS right in the middle of a project. I wait till that project is done and before I start the next thing, and then I test it. Mm -hmm. Even on a rolling distribution like Arch, that's how I roll. So I, I can't, like, it's really, in a sense, it's sort of, it's sort of a misunderstanding of how this works because, it, you know, he's coming at it with the expectation of how Adobe releases software, but he wants the right. benefits of how free software is free right. and and, right. and obviously not uh, not as nearly expensive because of the cost. So he wants he wants the benefits it, of free software, but he wants the he wants the release characteristics of an Adobe product. And let's be fair, even if it was an Adobe product, who in their right mind takes their production machine, upgrades everything without testing and saying, let's try the new version out, see how it works, find out where the new buttons are, where they move the menus are, make sure it opens my file. I mean, that's just something that, that you, it doesn't matter if you're using proprietary open source software, you would check that stuff. And by the way, Mr. Author, sir, I have been burned by proprietary software that does kind of similar things where they upgrade a new version. It was I had this exact same problem with Sony Vegas where yeah. I upgraded to a version and certain project files didn't open from, I think from older versions. So part of what led so to his frustration so. was that he, you know, he did the problem where he went to go file a bug and found five previous other bug reports and <laughs> And then, you know, he, depending on how you read it, you know, they're not taking it as seriously as they should or this or that. You know, then you start doing the uh, interpreting people's writing through the Internet who come from different backgrounds and cultures. So he does. This is right. something that so often happens in these rants about open source is you start you start you get burned and then you go down the path of trying to engage the community to solve the problem for you. And either you're coming in with a bunch of bad momentum or they have a process that you're not following and it never goes well. Like it, it just mm -hmm. the these bugs are old. They haven't been fixed. Like whatever it is about the open source community, when somebody who is unfamiliar with the way it works tries to solve their problem and they go the route of going down the bug reports rabbit hole, they always come out of that more pissed off than they started because it's it's right. not the right it's not the right place for the kind of solution or resolution they're looking for. But it seems to be where people end up. And uh, that was, I think, what ultimately what pushed him over the edge in his experience. And maybe there's something we can do there as a community. Maybe that's why there is a place for things like Stack Exchange and 
I know we have things like IRC and forms, but they obviously people end up at, at the bug trackers all the time. It just seems you know, to be a constant. You know what? You know what? The, you know what the, I'll just add. You know what? The, you know what the newest thing is Slack. I, three different pro, uh, projects, including Open EMR, have Slack channels and they advertise those. And you can jump in there and ask questions and say, "Hey, this is a problem I'm having right now," and you get like immediate response. It's and the thing is, if they. As a community, as an open source in general, one of the problems we have is like branding and, and image perception. I think we have that problem a lot. And the mm. thing is, if you just kind of reframe this in your mind from join an IRC channel or Slack message to go to the support website and click on the live chat and a support representative will help you. If you just kind of rephrase that a little bit and then you say you have access to instant support and oh, by the way, the 24-7 available chat support is available to you for free. <laughs> does it, does it strike you as odd though that all of these open source projects and and groups are all going to Slack. Like I know we've had this conversation a lot, but there's there's Mattermost, there's Rocket Chat, there's other solutions out there. But I think the real thing well, about think- Slack is is that it's easy to skip, it's easy for the end user to get going, and it's push a button for the group to get going. Whoever yeah. is setting it up. That's yeah. That I tell you what. If tomorrow, if Mattermost, if Mattermost, Mattermost, if you know, for what most places are doing, can do everything that Slack can do. The problem that Mattermost doesn't have is you need some somebody like uh, like Adrum to set up a system where you, I can just go to Mattermost dot you know dot org or whatever and click on create a group and then they will host it. And if I want to, I can take it and host it myself. But the self hosting of Slack, I th- I think, is the single biggest factor would make everyone use it yeah most of those people that i'm in any tie-ins which is the you know the big advantage that slack has is all these you know but that's not what they're doing they're just it's just a chat it's just and now it's reached that point where it's got such a large user base now that a lot of people already have slack accounts like there's people that that you know we start working with they're like they're already in slack wow that doesn't that doesn't really matter because every time you join a new yeah. team, you got to create a new no, account. So there is a way. Doesn't... There is a way to like I don't know Slack very well, but there is a way to like tie it all together and you have one app you go into and all the Slacks that you're a member of are there. I don't yeah, know. I, yeah. yeah, I have that, but you have oh, to, okay. you have you create a separate login for okay. each site. So it, I don't. I don't. Team, I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I. I still. It still gives me concern, but I guess as long as Mattermost and Rocket Chat and those things stick around, then people could break off if if they had to. Yeah. Going back to the main topic, though, I think the bigger story is I think it's. End user doesn't really know how to use the tool. They think they know how to use the tool, but they don't understand the complete life cycle of the tool that they're using. In this case, it was Inkscape, in this case. And um, end user might not totally understand all the technical things going on behind the scenes about changes that may or may not be happening for other reasons. End user then goes to get resolution, ends up at Bug Tracker, gets even more pissed off by the response or the lack of response and the duplica- duplication mm-hmm. of bugs or or the tone for whatever reason. There's lots. Um and then goes and takes to social media and and declares that open source is a broken model. Right. This seems to be a, that overall seems to be the common theme. You could take you could take you could take Inkscape out and put GIMP in there or Firefox in there or any open source application and you have the same results. I think you agree. There's yeah, something 100%. there's something there that maybe as a community we could look at. Somebody who's in a position to organize better. Or if you if you if you have a project that has you know users like that, like maybe you're you're in the Inkscape project, maybe there's something there to look at, considering that you, things like Inkscape and GIMP appeal to a user base that doesn't really probably have the technical background necessary for the full lifecycle management of the application. Speaking of lifecycle management, we talked a lot last week about Open EMR, and uh, they're on life support right now. Help is needed. They need urgent funding which I thought we probably should have mentioned because they need this to get stage two certification, which was an mm. issue we talked about in the show. 
And uh, since we did seem to get a lot of positive responses, I thought if you thought that whole open EMR solution that's helping a lot of clinics use open source technology and Linux on the back end, and if you're curious about uh, the project itself or want to help contribute, we have a link in the show notes. And I was talking to Brady. They are very, very close to releasing a version, the, the next version, version five, um, which is going to have a completely redesigned UI. I think we mentioned that last week. And so, any of the funding that they can get would be would you know really help to kind of polish off so it it is it's more approachable to people that you know have that are that are comparing it to proprietary big name solutions. Yeah, it looks like there is uh, looks like there's sort of a, a pressing need to get the uh, to get that stage two certification. And yeah, if we don't the, have the, this as a community, then we don't really have a player yeah, in this problem space. Is, the problem is without the without, – without, if they don't keep up with those certifications, they reach a point where the federal government won't allow practices yeah. who use that software to get their full reimbursement. So they dock them 10%, 20%, 30%. So they lose money. And that's you – know, that's, that's, that's not going to work. That's a, Red line in the sand, right? So it's very important that they get it. But I think they have a little bit of time before they before level okay. two is required. Here's so. the thing, because it feels like if uh, we don't have even less a decent offering in this section, then essentially we're just going to we're just going to give all this territory away to huge commercial conglomerate solutions that are so far away from open source, it's not even perceivable for them, and in some cases require very sophisticated Windows servers and SQL setups. Because I have implemented those for I I have never actually gotten to implement an EMR that runs on Linux. All of the ones in my professional career that I was forced to set up all ran on Windows and SQL, and that has been my predominant experience across different areas, especially when you get into specialties um, like gynecology and cancer treatment. I there I saw all Windows, and so for me personally. Uh, I, I, I can't even imagine if this could have, I don't know if the open EMR was around back then because this was this is seven eight years ago so I'm, I'm not sure but it was it was it was a very expensive that, place to be in yeah go ahead you made that comment last week and somebody emailed me or telegrammed me a link there is actually a company that has designed that they took the open EMR base and designed in an OBGYN um frameworks around it and so basically it has all the forms that you need for you know for wow like that's awesome exams. yeah and then they sell it as a obgyn emr specifically and huh. it just it's based on open emr so I thought that, that was is cool. that's also another really cool thing open emr could be used for is to help spe- you know get specific for different industries well, that's a pretty cool mm-hmm. project if you feel like uh, contributing we have a link in the show notes i think they'll take about just any dollar amount so they're just trying to get there to get that certification if there was a news story exactly. you didn't see covered this week you can submit it to linuxactionshow.reddit.com and we just might include it in next week's episode but that's all the news for this week it's now that time of the show where we have to own up to the predictions we made in 2016 I did okay. I think maybe Noah might have done better, but we have the top 14 predictions we made in 2016, and we'll see how we did. But first, I want to thank Linux Academy for making this segment right here to make it impossible. You go to linuxacademy.com unplugged, support the show, and sign up for a free seven-day trial. They have so many great tools. They have step-by-step video courses. They have instructor mentoring available. They have entire tool sets they have built so you can learn to think critically about technology, so you can really get hands-on experience. They have community stacks of cards that have been forked to help you learn to prepare for tests. They have specific work tracks. They have availability planners for when you're busy. They're constantly adding new content. 
It really is an awesome system. And you can get started by going to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. You get the seven-day free trial and really get to check it out for yourself. Take a look at the study tools, the iOS and Android apps. See if maybe you're going for a cert. See what they got for that. I think you'll be pretty impressed. Or if you want to learn about some high-level stuff or deep-down nitty-gritty Linux things, they got all of it, including Amazon Web Services, Azure, OpenStack. And I also would recommend, if you're kind of shopping around and checking out Linux Academy, check out their Twitter feed to get a sense of some of the things they're working on, like the new content. They just partnered up with Chef. Really high-quality, in-depth chef training. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Can you hear that jet that's flying over right now? Can you hear that on your end? In Grand Forks, North Dakota? Uh, again, that timing is fantastic. I know love exactly it. When you're I love it. When you're it's good. It's maybe good. it's because you tweeted. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, it might be. So we're going to pull some cli- some clips. We're going to pull some, pull some clips from uh, episode 398 of uh, your Here Linux Action Show. And if you want all of them in their contextual goodness, you can go grab that whole episode, Consulting the Oracle for 2016. But... You good? You good? You good? I just... Uh, I thought we were going to start the clips. I yeah. didn't realize you are going back. <laughs> yeah, you're good over there. Okay, okay, good. So, uh, but I pulled out the highlights where... Uh, well, let's start with one that I think I really bombed on. I think this might be my worst of the whole batch. Right off the top, I thought Sync Thing was going to get integrated into everything. To my ball. Let's talk about our crystal ball. So my first... <laughs> my first prediction for 2016, and I'm, I'm, I'm intentionally going a little vague on this one. I have, if the audience wants the wish list uh, episode, I have specifics in my wish list. I mean, ones that I would really love to see. But my first prediction for 2016 is by the end of the year, some major open source project where it makes sense will have integrated sync thing in a way that is core to that project. All right, so I think that's probably fair to say. Uh, I, I don't know what happened in 2016 to Linux syncing. Like, SyncThing basically just kept doing the same thing. Libre vaults just sort of puttered along. Nothing's really gone anywhere. Nextcloud's had the most most changes in this area, but their core sync technology is still kind of the same thing. So I think this one's a bomb, Noah. I think my first one's a bomb. I'm inclined to agree. However... I think, uh, wasn't it this year that you were talking about that you were, either, it was either a wish or, or a prediction that you thought that syncing was going to take off again this year? I, I, don't, I don't know what you're, I can't, I can't speak to that. I don't know. I don't know. Must have been a wish. No, it was a wish. Yeah, it was. Uh, all right. So, no, if this one, uh, you, you pulled this kind of stuff on me. Um, I feel like Noah of 2017 might not, but Noah of 2016, you kind of combined two into one, two predictions into one. Okay. And so... The first one I'm going to give you, I'm going to say you probably are right, even though I kind of quibble on the details, but the second mm. part, I'm going to say you didn't get right. So you get like 50% on this prediction. Okay. My first prediction is 2016 is going to be the internet of things, the year of the internet of things. I think that <clears throat> all devices are going to transition to IPv6. I think that we've reached the end of IPv4 and I'm, I'm watching ISP slowly make that jump to IPv6. And once that happens, the ability to bypass or to not have NAT, to not have the need for NAT um, and have every single device that is attached to the internet have its own individual address is going to make the internet of things explode like we you could not even believe everyone thinks we have devices that are connected now i think that's going to be totally different in 2016 so uh, you kind of then you double down on uh, ipv6 and we talk about that a little bit in the show um i'd say you're probably right about the internet of things mm-hmm. exploding 
I, I kind of quibble a little bit about the details because looking at the Google trends, it really kind of looks like they started taking off in 2015. But I'll say you're right. 2016, it was a great year for IoT. But I, IPv6, it's basically had as much progress as SyncThing has. Like, not a lot's been going on. I don't know if I quite agree with that. The on the uh, consumer a, side, I mean, infrastructure level, I think, yeah, right. Consumer side, absolutely nothing has really changed. Infrastructure side, things have gotten a lot bigger. Like I have IPv6 now to my ISP, which is I did not have that last year. So that's that has changed into in 2016. But overall, I agree. I was thinking that every device, every Internet of Thing device you bought, yeah. you just you would get an IPv6 address for it. That's clearly not the case. Yeah, uh, I don't know what to make of this next one. So I'm gonna, I will. I will defer to your judgment. I don't have Let me, a strong uh, feel. My balls here, and I will tell you that I think. I'm <laughs> sorry, I won't do it anymore. Ball singular. Uh, yeah, ball. ball. Yeah, ball. Phrasing, Chris. Um, phrasing. You know, I want to pick on Linux hipsters for a second with my uh, next pick here. No, I even have a prop to help me do it. Uh, so I think in 2016, you're going to see Linux hipsters start talking about using the Raspberry Pi and those types of devices, like maybe a little faster, uh, for their day-to-day -day work. Much how Apple bloggers talk about how they only use the iPad or the iPad Pro to do all their day-to-day -day work. They can do everything on the iPad. right? Well, we're going to be talking about doing everything on ARM devices and Raspberry Pi. And I want to underscore the ARM part because I think that has a big part of it. And I present you right here, friends, the canoe. All right, Noah, what's your judgment? Have ARM devices taken off amongst um, the Linux hipsters? No, no, not at all. I, I mean, they're, they're certainly good for tinkering, but I think we're nowhere near a point where people are bragging about I'm doing all this stuff on, on, on my Raspberry Pi or on my ARM device. I don't think so. Fair I don't enough. Think yet. Fair enough. Fair enough. And also, do we ever review the canoe? I don't. I that I that I don't remember. That. I think I didn't love. I think I did it in Unplugged. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. So this one, I, I wish you were right. Let's see. SSL and web encryption will become the uh, the de facto standard and all devices um, that will be issuing uh, CA certs. So if you buy a router in a store, uh, in, oh. in, you know, halfway through 2016, I don't think it's going to happen right away. But by the end of 2016, I think all the routers that you buy in stores are going to have uh, certificate authority certificates on them. I think that things like own cloud to roll your own services, any of that stuff, their HTTP is just not going to be a thing. It's all. No. I mean, you know, SSL had a good no. year in 2016, but I think it's yeah. And 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 to be fair, Linksys, D-Link, uh, TP-Link, all of those are shipping with SSL, but their HTTP is still very much a thing. Yeah. Now we might yeah, argue I, about my next prediction a little bit. I want to I want to frame this a little bit. So this was, um, this was right after Apple had announced Swift, and then they had just open sourced it like a week or two before we recorded this episode and uh it was it was sort of it was sort of getting early adoption but it wasn't it wasn't really defined much as a project yet something like that and a, a, a lot of those roll your own services i think those are going to incorporate ssl and i think that that's all how oh hold on let's see is that there, there is a swift here we go i was editing under avid Mux, so sometimes the b marker a marker are slightly off but here we go here's my swift becomes uncomfortably popular uncomfortably popular, uh, especially on Linux. I'm not talking like on the desktop. I'm talking on the server. I present exhibit A, perfect.org, already launched before Swift even went open source. It builds itself. We've talked about this in Coda Radio, which I'm sure you've heard, Noah, because I'm sure you're listening to Coda Radio. Uh, it builds itself as one <laughs> language. 
to rule them all. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could develop every aspect of your app's front and back end, all using Swift? We think so. That's the vision behind Perfect. Perfect is the first enterprise-grade web server and web toolkit for the Swift programming language. If you're ready to develop in Swift and you need a back-end server software, Perfect eliminates the need to choose and learn a back-end language by allowing you to use Swift for all of your coding. And they're working on Linux versions. And of course, Apple has released Linux code. So I want to uh, I want to kind of preface this and say I think this has gone better than I I sort of expected. There's there's a couple of different um, I think view is the one I can't wait, remember. Wait, 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 wait. What? You think this has gone better than you expected? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Swift is blown really? up. Yeah, it's huge. Swift has gone huge. The community is ginormous, and there's I think three. So perfect.org is one of them. There's these these frameworks that make using Swift on the server possible. I, I think Vue or I can't remember exactly, but uh, Perfect has grown a ton since we covered it in that episode. It's gotten actually commercial backing now. Um, there, wow. It's a web server and toolkit for developers using the Swift programming language to build applications and other REST services. And uh, I just heard an interview with the guy who created Swift, who just recently left Apple. We talked about that in Coda Radio last week. And uh, he says by version five, they want they plan it's on it's at version three right now. By version five, they plan to have everything in place to make it a fully capable, fully featured server side language. Like it's part of their roadmap right now. So I I don't know if it's um, uncomfortable. I think it's I think it's the silent sleeper that's creeping in on us. Oh, and look, they have a link for Slack right there. Isn't that interesting? Right there at the top. Uh, but uh, Mike and I, I'm forgetting the name. I, I wish I could give it a plug for him. But Mike's company, Buccaneer, decided to invest in them in in one of the uh, server side perfect nope. uh, frameworks because it's getting it's getting some attention. All right, this one I thought I don't know. I think this one. So I don't know if mine's a miss or a hit. Mine's like a. It was like more of a soft landing. So I'm going to say it's a miss. I'm going to be critical okay. and I'm going to say my Swift prediction was a miss. So just just for, even though it's done really well and it's gone it's gone. I expected it to go like super high up vertically and it just went horizontally and it's like building out horizontally. But now that I now that I've learned that Apple themselves have it in their roadmap for version five ish, that's not official, but that's what he said in the interview. Um, I can see why it didn't happen as fast as I thought it would. But that's cool. It's cool. It's going that direction. And I actually get ready for this. Don't think it's all that bad of a thing. I mean, I know it's an Apple product, but uh, Swift actually seems to be reasonable. I don't know if it's more compelling than say Rust or using Go or something like that on the server, but it's it seems to be reasonable. So you had a prediction about AI in 2016, which I thought was kind of kind of interesting. Apple has released Linux code. Well, <laughs> okay, all right. here we go. Uh, my next prediction is that Linux uh, uh, or open source technology is going to become the playground uh, and and the and essentially ground zero for uh, Mycroft and artificial intelligence. I th- Linux is going to be ground zero for artificial intelligence and Mycroft. I think that as Mycroft gains traction next year, um, I think that that is going to be the uh, Linux is just because that is where all of this stuff has started is going just like the raspberry Pi. even though windows has tried to put their stuff on the, on the pie. Nobody actually uses windows on it. Very few people actually use. I don't think that took off. I don't think that's, I mean, I think AI is, is mostly server side, which may be Linux, but uh, Mm -hmm. Mycroft side of that. And really what I was getting with that prediction was that more people were going to start coming up and inventing things with AI, and that would all happen under Linux, and that definitely, definitely has not happened. In fact, you could argue it's gone the opposite direction, and 
everything that's happening with AI is now happening in the cloudosphere. You know, people are no longer, we're not building things on Raspberry Pi or any sort of Linux. We're just integrating different things in by clicking in Amazon yeah. and their stupid thing. So I've noticed something that I'll try to remember to share at the end. You and I have a pattern of when we what were you, what tools we're using to make a prediction when we're right or wrong i can tell i can look back at these i can tell our pattern uh like this one this is number 7 for 2016 apple will drop cups i can i'll tell you why i missed this one but we'll the commercial stuff and that's going to generate the hype but the actual mm-hmm. intro i'll use cups i think uh 2016 apple either cuts cups loose somehow or what i think is more likely to happen is in the next version or the version after of OS X, Apple is going to replace cups with their own custom printing system. They've hmm. been doing this with Samba and uh, d- d- uh, local DNS lookup and uh, a lot of different utilities they've been replacing with their own. Uh, their init system was one of their first. So, you know, I, I thought this was going to happen because Apple was losing interest in the desktop and being compatible and just was going to build their own thing just to do the job. But that's ridiculous, because if you think about it, they're losing interest in the desktop. They don't want to spend any time or energy developing new things, so they're just going to keep what they have and and just keep kicking the can down the road. So because of their neglect of the Mac, they're not motivated to replace cups. I mean, it's obvious now at at, at this point in time, right? But back then, we didn't know how badly they were going to punt on the Mac for the year. It was at the beginning of 2016. Uh, so yeah, that was... Uh, see, I can see my pattern, though. I can see my pattern. though. All right, so Sorry. Noah has a prediction, our number eight prediction. So uh, so, the, so my next prediction right, is so. that optical discs are going to be phased out by the end of 2016. There's, we're going to be done with Blu-rays, and in replacement of Blu-rays, we are going to have something like digital copy. And if you are a full-time Linux user like I am, then you've dealt with this where you go to the store and pay 20 or $30 for a movie, and you bring it home, and you can't watch your own freaking movie that you paid for in the Hey-o. store because the stupid little digital copy thing doesn't work. And I can't bother to rip I, the, the, my, my software. doesn't break the encryption or whatever to, to rip the movie that I paid money for in the store. <laughs> yeah. so I think- oh, I guess was, I thought I, I thought I thought I'd let you rant more. So what do you think? I don't think optical media is dead. No. No, not even close. And really what I was getting at there was that we weren't going to be able to go into a store and buy a Blu-ray. And you can definitely still go into a store and buy a Blu-ray. I, If I would have thought about that, I almost would make that prediction for 2017 at this point. <laughs> we are so, like, the, no, here's, here's, and here, let me, let me back that up for a little bit. There are so many people that I know that have not purchased a Blu-ray and I don't know how long. They buy their movies in one of three places, either Vudu on the little box thingy. A lot of people are buying content off of the Google Play Store and off of Amazon and off of iTunes. And then a lot of people just go, I don't want to own a movie. I don't care if I own it or I'll just watch whatever's available on Netflix. There are so many I so agree. few people yeah. that are buying computers. I don't even have a Blu-ray player anymore. hooked up anymore. Anywhere. I don't either. I don't either. I haven't had for a long time. Yeah. Uh, I... Now that's not to say I don't. I actually still buy Blu-rays uh, occasionally. I probably buy yeah. about I probably buy about five to a dozen a year. Yeah, not a real. high. N- yeah, yeah. To to, to make MKV <laughs> into a file that I put on a server and then I watch. Yeah. Now, okay. I feel like all of my other uh, predictions can be written off because this next prediction I feel like I nailed so hard. It totally excuses everything else so far. <laughs> I think that we should all make those businesses fail. All right. I've said that. So, I've said that once. Uh, my prediction, my next prediction is 
this will be the year. Uh, it's just going to be like a, a, an avalanche. It's just going to happen, and it's just going to become the norm by the end of 2016. It's just going to be the accepted wisdom. And that is, ButterFS is going to be talked about as in, it's good for some use cases. And let me give you that use case. It'll be a, it'll be et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It'll be a pretty specific use case, and that's a great scenario for ButterFS, where ButterFS won't be talked about. And this is going to be the big deal. And this is going to be the the thing that's really going to take off, is data storage. People aren't going to be talking about big data storage with ButterFS. We're going to be talking about ZFS on Linux. ZFS is mm -hmm. going to go so big on Linux in 2016, driven in a large part by Ubuntu. Even though there's lots of ways to do it now, and there has been for a while, but when you actually get a bullet point on an Ubuntu box, or you know the theoretical Ubuntu box that ships, mm -hmm. that doesn't actually ship, that bullet point that reads ZFS support. That's going to be the thing. That's going to mm -hmm. be the thing that just tips the scales because then you're going to be able to deploy a droplet out of the box ZFS support, right? Things like that. Mm -hmm. So I predict. Wow. I think I pretty much nailed that one because it was hats. Hats off. Yeah, nope. that is, I like that, that one. Is like that is almost as if you were sitting in at the end of 2016 and went back and did a prediction in the episode. <laughs> yeah, I know. Somebody when I, when I, when I follow trends and make predictions from the news we were following, then I make good predictions. And when I just take crazy claims about cups, I, fall, I go off the rails. Uh, I think this <laughs> next one, I, you'll have to be the ultimate judge because you're the one implementing a lot of these for businesses. But I feel mm -hmm. like 2016 was the year that if you're, if you're releasing an app for the enterprise, you're 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 just by default releasing it as a web app. That, that, that was that your prediction. Execute the buttons that are on the web page, but basically it is a web page too. I think that trying to write a application for Windows or for Mac or for Linux, at least in in, in a broad sense, in, like for enterprise in large deployments, yeah, mm -hmm. are are going to be almost next to nothing in 2016. Yeah, why waste the effort? Right? So your point was is like native yeah. apps, they're done. Enterprise apps are going to be all web based, and I feel like that did bear out. Oh, absolutely. Too. In fact, I have, there are two major hotel chains that in 2016, they went from uh, having local software up to just it's a web page you visit and you check everyone in and do everything through the web page. And even the one, even a hotel chain, Choice Hotels that was already using a, a web based software, now <laughs> their backup solution yeah. runs in the web and just everything happens wow. inside of a web browser. Wow. Yeah. Um, now, this next okay. one, I, I, this is our, this number 11. And, uh, yeah, I, I did not nail this one, and I could tell you why. I could tell you why afterwards. It's, it's uh, BSD is totally going to go systemd. They just <laughs> they won't call it that. Nobody call it that, and they're going to mock systemd all the way there. Uh, but uh, I've been watching this come down the pipe for a while. They're starting with the Mac launch launcher, and then they're going to customize. That's one of their ideas. In fact, it's discussions that they've been having for a while uh, over on uh, the BSD Now show. Uh, in fact. Um, Think, oh, I was going to grab the episode. Oh, yeah, BSD Now episode 118. BSD is go for launch. They, this is the summary of the episode. We know init systems have been all the rage recently, from systemd to openrc, launchd, and even nosh. A lot of work is being done in this arena. Today, we're interviewing Mark Haley to discuss his efforts on relaunchd and how it differs from the rest. So essentially, FreeBSD, after years of mocking systemd, is going to be implementing its own version of system D and they'll begin that work in 2016. That's my prediction. And because of that, the system D haters are going to start to normalize out and fade into the background. 
I got uh, that last part kind of right. I got that last part kind of right. The system haters have sort of faded into the background. Here's what happened: is t- I got two things. I got two things wrong. First thing I got wrong was BSD don't move that fast. They're still having those same exact conversations they were having when I made that prediction. Now there has been some movement, however. I looked into this. Relaunch D got turned into Job D, so they've sort of redefined what it does, and it is being developed as a possible new init job system for BSD, but not like System D completely. And True OS, which is the rename of PC BSD, which has really gone an interesting direction over the last year. True OS has former, formerly known as PC BSD, has really evolved. It's now a rolling BSD with a brand new init system. Oh! But it's actually using OpenRC. Ironically, OpenRC is init-D-based. So I predicted that BSD would go with systemd, and in actuality, the most relevant BSD for the desktop went with init. So just as Linux got done with init-D, BSD switched over to init-D. So I would suspect in about 15 years, BSD will get systemd. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number 12. I think I think you nailed this one, Noah. I think you probably were right. Uh, it was sort of a prediction about the mobile OS market. Not like um not like Samsung and HTC and and Motorola, but Android, Ubuntu, iOS, that kind of thing. My system D slash B. I, I, I listen. I'm sure I will hear about it uh, all day long from Alan. Uh, come Linux, uh, Linux. Oh, Linux. I have one. I think but I have I think one. The official OS. All of those mobile operating systems, if they have the groundwork started, they're either going to really plunge ahead and continue, or they're going to pull and be done with it. And by the end of 2016. Anyone that's left standing, those are going to be what we have for mobile platforms. I don't think there's. I don't think after 2016, anyone is going to say, "Well, <clears throat> mobile is the way of the future, and we should go create a mobile op- operating system and uh, and try to get it to run on on phones." I don't think that's going to happen. I think 2016. I think if you've already started down that road, they might continue it. But at the end of 2016, whoever is left standing, huh. that's what we have left. They'll either they'll either succeed or they'll be done. By- I think that's probably legitimately what happened. I don't think it's Samsung's really trying to launch their own OS anymore. Nokia's not trying to do that thing. It's sort of like okay, it's Android. Ubuntu Touch is still out there, but it's sort of on pause right now. Um, Lineage is uh, rebooting. They're gonna they've announced their release plans. So like those projects, like you said, that are around are still around, but mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty mm-hmm. much solidified. I would say. Uh, I got this. I think I so. I think you got that one right. I'm going to give it to you. And I think I probably got this prediction about Vulcan right. Left standing. That's what we have left. I predict three new phone devices. Yeah. My last prediction. Sorry, the editing is a little. I, you know, I'm editing on the command line. So give me, give me. This is my last okay. one. Then I have some from the from the patrons. Uh, okay. Vulcan. It's going to be a great year for Vulcan. No, not the planet Spock's from. It's that graphics API we've been talking about. Uh, I think uh, Vulcan will be supported on nearly all the platforms by the end of 2016, Linux being one of them, helped by Valve, iOS being the biggest one not supported. Uh, I even think that includes Android. Uh, th- this will start to open up the market to allow more options for Linux gaming by the last quarter of 2016. They're going to be right into Vulkan. And uh, the only thing that's still kind of uh, sticky there is the audio stuff, because uh, there's not a really great solution there. But for video, uh, it's it's going to be a great year for uh, Vulkan getting picked up. Now, of course, I'm sure it's going to take uh, some, some time to work out all the kinks, but you're going to see Vulkan adoption on nearly all platforms, I think, by the end of 2016. I think I got that. I think that's right. And, uh, you know, Vulcan is uh, is here today in 2017, and uh, just the beginning of it. It's looking pretty solid. Mm-hmm. And our last prediction, number 14, 
Let's see how Noah did on this one. Right. Okay, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm sure I would. Okay. I would Ready? I would, Go. Lay it on me. On the other side. Okay. All right. Rel will continue down its path of amazingness, righteousness, and I'm going to continue <laughs> to preach how much I love Red Hat. But by the end of 2016, Chris is going to format all of his arch boxes and put Fedora on them, and all of his servers on the back end, and all the back end infrastructure of Jupiter Broadcasting is going to run CentOS. What? Then your description is is not accurate. <laughs> now, hold on, hold on, before you play the boo thing. I came really close. You did to, come to closer than I thought you would. At the time you made that prediction, uh, I thought you were so crazy. However, I think technically I formatted a couple of those arch boxes in 2017, just to be clear about that. Right, right. Well, and I didn't go to like, Fedora. I, Fedora. I didn't go to Fedora. Right, but almost wasn't wasn't the last when we did when we reviewed 25. Wasn't that the closest you've ever been to switching? Yeah, to but here is what happened before. You, see, here's what happened. I should say after you made that prediction is they released Fedora 24, and that. That just sort I knew of like twenty four is gonna be bomb. Yeah, that I bombed that. bad, and it and it sort of set back my confidence about using Fedora. Now twenty five has sort of made up for those losses, but at that, but the problem was is that when twenty four landed, it was the perfect time for me to switch to Fedora. And now Solus is at a place where I'm ready to try it. Elementary, all these, mm -hmm. just mostly Solus and Anagros are really at a point now where I'm ready to use them as my main distros. And when Fedora twenty four landed, that wasn't the case. So I think mm -hmm. if Fedora 24 had gone right, you you may have almost completely nailed that. Although no way in hell I'm lo loading CentOS on any of the servers ever. You, you just didn't wait long enough to to uh, to install 24. And here's the thing. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, right. What six I still, months? I still I'm st <laughs> seven or eight. I'm still <laughs> I'm still waiting for. Uh, I'm still waiting. Uh, and you mark my words. At some point, you're gonna have a bunch of CentOS servers running. I I I have faith. I know it. It's coming. I I don't tell I, okay all right as soon as CentOS goes rolling and has the CentOS user repository Ow. and no, I'm kidding Ow. I'm just joking <laughs> <laughs> all right so it was a pretty mixed bag I'll tell you what I here's the trends that I noticed uh, Noah when you are when you are projecting like th the worst thing that you don't want to ever happen like the Internet of Things with no <laughs> firewall protection or the death of physical media you get really close yes. you sometimes nail it and me yeah. when I'm watching like the news trends and stuff like that I get close but when I go off into the weeds for BSD or Apple where I don't follow those super super closely I just mm. I'm just I'm just shooting in the dark and having fun and I don't get close at all like giving up cups never happened of course it didn't happen uh, a BSD getting systemd is a erroneously hilarious prediction. They did switch mm. to OpenRC. There was talk about relaunch D. It's just that they're still talking about it. They don't like like in Linux. Like when we say, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna implement something," we just start implementing it. We just start building and creating. But in right. BSD, like you know, you gotta right. have a good five year discussion on that. And uh, that's under, that's just exactly. different approaches. But it's, it works for them. And now they got an empty in TrueOS. So. <laughs> maybe I should go with, maybe I should hey. switch to BSD. Yeah. True OS you know, legitimately looks nice, really long, nice. Five to fifteen year LTS. We have, we have threatened we have threatened to review PCBSD on the show before. And we've done it once before. And usually everybody's like, Yeah, you should do it. You should do it. And then you and I, you know, at the at the eleventh hour, like, it's not Linux. Let's just focus on Linux. Yeah. But True OS, exactly. I think, is actually super what, what, compelling. Here's the problem. It's, the problem is like we wouldn't like is like when we reviewed Windows 10. Like 
you're not going to get anything out yeah. of that review that you actually want to hear. Like, it's just, we're just not the people to do that. That's somebody else's gig. I don't That's know. Sometimes there's something to having like the person that uses brand A try brand X for a while. And then, I don't know, there's something to that. But yeah, you're probably right. So there you go. Those are our predictions. If you want to see a little bit more, including the ones that the community did and uh, more context of those, we'll have that episode linked in the show notes. Not an awesome batting average, but the boy, I'm really, I, I really like the ones we did get right. The ones we mm. got right, yeah. uh, only one I wish we, uh, only one I wish would have been more right, was SSL everywhere. But we we did get really close with you know there's there's projects out we there made now. Progress. Yeah. So yep. there's a, there's there's a handful. There's a handful. All right. That's our look back at what we thought was going to happen and how it actually went down. You'll have to stay tuned for next year to see how we did at the beginning of this year. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. But before we go, we've got some more questions for you and some questions for us. And I want to thank System76 for making this segment possible. Go to System76.com and find yourself a rig built for Linux, born to run Ubuntu, supported by a company that's involved in the open source community, shipping computers assembled right here in the U.S. of A. Check them out at System76.com. Go over there and grab yourself the Oryx Pro like Noah's dad did. Talk about a workstation killer, a laptop with a GTX 10 series GPU in it. Man, what a machine. Anything you want, desktops, laptops, they got different form factors for you, including the itsy-bitsy little Meerkat all the way up to massive, massive machines. Look how nicely refined that is. Boom. Look at that lineup, nice and tight. The Silverback workstation is such a beast. And that Leopard's like that perfect sweet spot. And then the Wild Dog, you get such great performance right off the bat. And then super nice expandability too. System76.com, laptops, desktops, they got them all. And they've also got the Superfan Contest going on too. You can find out more about on their website. Just go over there, grab a machine. And when you're checking out, tell them Noah switched you to Linux, even if you already run Linux. We're just trolling Emma, really. I mean, that's what it's all come down to after all these years. System76.com and tell them that Noah switched you. Tell Linux. So I wanted to pick up on this thread about bulletproofing your Linux install because I would like to have a Linux workstation that I could turn on. And I would like to have, I would like to create like a four to five year window of time where there's zero issues. That's what I think I'm going for. Four to five years of no problems. Other than like mm -hmm. applications that I've installed or updated that break at the time I do it. Mm -hmm. But like I want a system at the core of it. I sit down and it always works for me. And I had a couple of ideas on what I could do to sort of get the ball rolling. Do you want me to start with that or do you want to start with yours? Sure. No, okay. you, you go ahead and start. And I want to get the, you know, really want to get the audience's input. That's why we're talking about this in the feedback section. So how, if you've been thinking about, or if you've created like a bulletproof Linux install, Tell us your setup at the contact page, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and send it in. Because I think if we get enough submissions, I want to I try this throughout the week, some of people's suggestions and some of my ideas, and come back next week and report on if maybe we have a bulletproof Linux installation. And if we do, I'm going to commit to continuing to update it like down and down and down the road to really see if it works. But my ideas right now, and this is not what I'm doing, this is just kind of what I'm thinking, is a base install of Solus, because it's now rolling. It has the core desktop applications I need with a minimal GTK desktop. And then Docker almost all of the things. And not Docker because it's cool. Not Docker because it's like this hip new stuff. But honestly, I just I want something that has a very high application availability. And Docker is it. It's got everything. It's published up in the Docker Hub. And I want something isolated so I don't have individual system updates breaking things. 
And I want something portable, too, if I do have to move and get up and work again. So I think I'm going to do – my right now, my plan is a Solus base with a lot of things containerized that I can, a lot, especially things that are like web apps or command line applications. And then a backup regime to supplement that, and I haven't really filled that out yet. I'm still considering some sort of like scheduled clonezilla – Something like that. I haven't really, I have not figured that out, but I feel like once I have a base stable OS, containerized applications, and then I want to, I want to, the third part of it, I want to sort of seal it all up and sort of enshrine it with a backup where if something does happen, I go to my backup and I have minimal effort to get back up and running. So this predictions episode that we just played back was supposed to happen last mm-hmm. week and I couldn't do it because my machine died and I specifically wanted to edit it under Linux for the show. And so I wasn't mm-hmm. I could have brought it into the Final Cut OS and edited it under Final Cut, but I'd I I opted to instead we came up with the at the last minute, Noah and I sort of like, well, this isn't really working out. What do you want to do? And we did the open EMR episode, which I think turned out great. So we wouldn't have even had that episode mm-hmm. if, if my Archbox hadn't died. But then when I finally got things to back up and running, I kind of had to half-ass it because I don't have my full desktop. And you could see some of the clips, they weren't timed right, they weren't cut right. It shows like there is an impact in the quality to the show when my shit breaks. And it drives me crazy because we had to postpone an episode and then we finally had the episode this week. Most of the clips, even though I specifically told it when to come in and out, because of the way the HD64 codec works, these tools, because they don't re-render the clips, they started a few seconds earlier in the clip. And it's, there's just no way around it with the tool set I'm using with the setup that I have right now. And I don't want my workstation to break on me. I, I'm perfectly happy. I've got lots of machines I experiment with that I'm doing all kinds of crazy stuff on all the time, and I don't have that expectation of those systems. But this one I wanted to bulletproof. So that's sort of my general idea. What are you kind of kicking around right now? Well, so I have I, – I, I was thinking about it. I thought if somebody – if a client came to me and asked me that question, what would I – how would I respond? And basically what I came up with, the three M's to a perfectly right. stable – Bulletproof Linux system. All right. The first M, minimalist. The less overall changes you make to the system, the better you're going to be off. Think Walmart or think lowest common denominator, (laughs) right? If I have a Linux distro that Uh just has a basic X11 environment with just Chrome running, that's going to be a remarkably stable system. Of course, there are going to be some productivity implications of just having one tool, but keep it as minimalist as possible. Keep it simple. Like the arch, like the arch philosophy, uh, you might say. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. The second M mainstream the further from mainstream you go the worse of a time you're going to have the more you're going to have to fight uphill take for example ubuntu everyone develops for ubuntu and so ubuntu has a bunch of software that is highly refined to work right lightworks for example which i've had trouble under literally every other distro works flawlessly in ubuntu 1604 lts because that's the distro that they're targeting for and the last m is minimize updates that's right Take the updates that enhance security. Take the things that you absolutely have to have to keep the system running. But if it's not broke, don't fix it. Don't live on the bleeding edge. And that way, you'll have a perfectly bulletproof, stable system. I don't know uh, if I could do <laughs> half of that stuff. I don't want to run Ubuntu. Oh, I on. could. The first two you could do. Really? I feel like the first two you could do. What? No, no. Arch is mainstream, yeah, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I, here's the problem. Noah is, uh, I'm above all that now. I'm above distros. <laughs> I use the same projects and code everywhere I go, Noah. I don't care who puts it together. I'm above all that now, Noah. I'm beyond that. Yeah. I'm next level now, uh, Noah. I'm, uh, so I just, I, 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 if I wanted to be bored by my computer, I could be, so I'm trying to walk a line. But you, have to, a you have to admit, 
you have to admit my three M's would make a Linux box that would basically work for five years. No problem. Right. If you follow my, my, my three M's, I think you'd get five. I don't think there's much question. Come on. We all know the answer. I'm just waiting for you to admit it. I don't I know want to crowd, accept but. a reality where in order for my computer to run well, I can never, ever have new stuff on it. I don't have to have a reality where I have new stuff every day, but that seems like a compromise well, too far. Five years. That seems there. like it seems like a compromise uh, a Mac user wouldn't have to make, for example. Well, it's or, an inverse. I think it's a, I think it's an inverse scale, right? The more bleeding edge you get, I think the the more you're going to sacrifice stability, and I think the the you know the more you just stick with the same old tools that work now. I know we say that all the time, but honestly, out of all of the Arch systems I've been running now for years, that's the only major yeah. blow up I've had in all of this time. That's true. So if you average it out, my Arch systems have been significantly more stable than any other desktop I've but gone with. Have you ever run have you ever run a stock LTS Ubuntu for five years and not upgraded and not tweaked it and not you know? No, I've I've definitely run Ubuntu releases that I've upgraded to just kept like you know for many years I've upgraded. Mm -hmm. And now Fedora releases that I've been doing that with. Um I guess I guess I'm trying to walk a line where I don't find the computer to be a, a boring thing that I'm afraid to touch and update. So I find like if I've if I so here's where Solus appeals because I know you say it's not mainstream but where Solus appeals is if the base OS uh, has extremely careful and meticulous packaging, that is probably going to pretty much insulate me from most like package conflict issues or upgrade issues from like the base things and that's where I'm getting Telegram, Chrome, pretty much it right maybe boxes, um, right the desktop environment itself. Mm -hmm. maybe things like N1, Thunderbird, those things I'm, I'm pulling from the Solus repos. Everything else is in a container in this, in mm -hmm. this scenario, I think. Sort of like that runs Linux we started with. Yeah, I just, I, I just, and I don't know exactly know how this is going to manifest itself. So I guess we'll just kind of see it play out and then I can look back and be like, that's what I was talking about. But like, I just, I feel like when you start to take on a paradigm that not many other people are doing, or at least not the majority of people are doing, I feel like you set yourself up to run into problems that are going to But that sounds like a reason not to use Linux. That's Linux. No, I don't think so. I think there's enough people using Linux that you can, that, you know, that, that'll get done. I guess right. it depends on proportion. Because if you go by your argument, I should technically run Windows. Mm, no. <laughs> no, because here's, you know, <laughs> okay. here's what. All right, here's, okay, here's fine, what. fine. Here's what, here's what. Right. The only real advantage Windows has over Linux is software availability. And that that is, first of all, first of all. Well, and amount of users. Out. I mean, if you're arguing user no, base size and the availability of tech. Is only, user base is only really useful for software availability, right? Yes. Oh, yes. If you wanted troubleshooting, if you wanted to find answers to Windows, yes, there are but going to Docker be more answers. is the platform where I'm getting the software from in this scenario. Docker is. I'm simply saying Docker's the, the, Docker is is the paradigm of having containerized applications with the separate base OS is not is not is not very you know widespread. I think you're a denier. I think you're okay. I think you're a containerization Are, denier. I think it's I think it's actually it's it's so overused. It's in fact infested with multiple in copies certain. of every application and multiple yeah. copies of yes on the server side. I don't think there's many people running their desktops that way. Well, I'm just talking. I'm talking. I'm talking mostly command line and, and server side applications. I'm Telegram, Chrome, um, Thunderbird. That's all going to be updated from the Solus repo, which they are. I mean, they are. I would say they're the most meticulous and particular about packaging of any distro I've ever seen, and they typically, I think, are that way to avoid things like upgrade issues and whatnot. Uh, we'll see. Well, we'll I'm see. not saying it's going to we'll be Solus because I know there is a good argument to be made for Ubuntu LTS because then I would mm -hmm. also get the advantage of being able to use flat packs and snaps, 
which right. could also be another way to try to get to this. So I, I'm not taking LTS out, actually. I just want to be... I just want to really enjoy using my workstation too. I don't want it to be just a tool. I want it to be a tool that is nice to use. So that way it's, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's fun. But you're right. It may be, I, maybe I'll reconsider it. Uh, I'll think about going to Ubuntu LTS because uh, uh, I, I think Poby was just playing around with uh, snapping up like SabNZB, the Usenet client. So it's just, in, it's available oh. as a snap. That kind of stuff is, mm-hmm. that's very valuable. And if that stuff takes off, that could be useful. Nate writes in with uh, a question about switching to Arch. He says, hi, guys. I discovered your show a few weeks back along with Linux Unplugged and User Error. I've been listening to all three in reverse order now for a while now, and I have to say great job overall. You didn't switch me to Linux. I've been using it as my daily driver for a while now, but you did switch me to Arch. Before it, either of you have been using Ubuntu or Fedora, uh, before I'd either been using Ubuntu or Fedora, depending on the machine compatibility. I would typically wind up nuking and paving with the upgrading because I wanted to play with the different distros, but I always wound up on Ubuntu or Fedora at the end. I heard of Arch, but never actually played with it and was taking a build from scratch. I thought that'd be a daunting idea. As the new release came around, I had my home tower that doesn't do much on the upgrade list. After listening to your show, I decided to try building it from scratch. Needless to say, I fell in love with it. I only installed what I needed to get the system up and running, plus my stable of programs. Yeah, that's nice. And the KDE desktop. My tower is now running better than ever. There's one problem with it, though. As it boots, I notice it won't mount the swap partition. It doesn't seem to be using. It doesn't seem to be causing any problems. But I was wondering if this is something you've run into before. Keep up the good work, Nate. No, but Nate, you could try. Just I'm curious if you did from the command line. If you typed swap on, what kind of error message you got back? Um, and check journal. Have you seen that on Arch? It might no. be something in FS tab. My swap mode's fine. Yeah. Maybe bring up that part in the Arch. We can go through FS tab really quick. Um, that's interesting. You know, I uh, <laughs> we got to do another user error. It's interesting that he got all three of those. Those were the ones he went to. We do need to do another user error. And when I was thinking about my bulletproof desktop, I did consider a little for a little bit uh, Plasma Desktop LTS. And I'm not sure. Really? A little bit because you know I like the idea of an, if 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 I don't want my I de- definitely don't want my desktop environment to break. But I just yeah. I don't know. Gnome has been so good to me for so long now. And now yeah. Budgie's been pretty good. The only thing about Budgie is it's still new. They could end up rewriting that whole thing one time, and it's that's yeah. But yeah, I know. But I feel like the the other desktop environments are either too much. I don't know. I don't know. It's because on GNOME you got possible extension breakage. Like I really want something bulletproof. Well, so I, I was thinking Plasma you know. LTS. Maybe I should try it. Maybe I should try it. Maybe I'll. Maybe I should do Neon LTS. Because it's Ubuntu based. All right, you got Pierre's. Pierre writes in and he he uh, he says, first of all, congratulations on your work. Second of all, I wanted to share with you a new company that's selling Ultrabook build built for Linux. The company allows you to buy the computer with a selection of distros. And from what I know, the distros work flawlessly. Maybe you should look into it and talk about it. And guess what, Chris? From my internet research, I understand that Arch is an option. Into the so Katana. this is an all metal design. Yeah, yeah. This is an all-metal uh, laptop, and it looks like uh, you know it's, it's it looks like a very polished machine. Um, I would com- probably compare it to the uh, Apollo. Has a backlit keyboard, um, and yeah. yeah, they let you choose your operating system. Get an i5 I, or i7 configurations, 13-inch screen running at 1080, and uh, yeah, I'd say it actually looks it looks a lot like the MacBook Air. Look at that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they and it did look like they custom. Customize the uh, super key too. It's, it's kind of hard to tell. The very top image, the um, the black one. Uh, if you mm. take that, it looks like they added a little tux right above the the little windows. Got thing, both. If I'm seeing that correctly. Yeah, it does yeah. look like they have both. Which is kind of cool. Yeah, so it looks like Linux Mint, Ubuntu, Windows, and you say Arch too, huh? 
Yeah, that was I. I can't remember where I saw that. Oh, Antigros. Not finding it on their site. Yeah, they know. They, yeah, Antigros. Antigros. Yeah, yeah, Interesting. Yeah. So Ubuntu, Ubuntu, Linux Mint, Debian, or Antegros for the Slimbook. Antegros. Slimbook.es. Yeah. I thought that was pretty neat. The Katana and the Classic. Yeah. Good find. Good find. Uh, thanks for sending that in, Pierre. You can send us an email by going to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and choose Linux Action Show from the dropdown. Or if you want the whole community to see it or maybe make sure that it gets in front of both our faces, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. You can also just submit feedback for the thread. It will be posted for this episode. Episode, what is it, 453? So you can just leave a comment in there too. Uh, I think that's just about everything we had for this week, isn't it, Noah? Yes? Where should people find you online? <laughs> think we have a show at kernel linux on the twitter sphere and uh, alta speed is at alta speed my day job where we go around serving the grand forks community surrounding areas and now kind of expanding out past that doing managed services and networking all sorts of fun stuff with linux you can find me at chris las the network at jupiter signal and check out my vlog youtube.com slash chris fisher you'll probably see some tidbits from behind the scenes of uh, this here episode of the Linux Action Show, as well as a lot of other behind-the-scenes stuff of the whole dang network at uh, youtube.com slash chrisfisher. Check that out over there. Almost almost every day during the week I've been posting. I don't really have a strict schedule. And uh, this show is live. You can join us live on Sundays, noon Pacific. You can get it converted to your local time at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And uh, jblive.tv is the place to watch it. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. And we'll see you right back here next week. This, I'll read it a little bit for you for those of you that are too lazy. Uh, and I'd love to get, no, I'd love to get your take on this. This is called Blind, okay. a collection of command line video editing utilities. Blind uses a raw video format with a simple container. A file begins with a plain text line containing the number of frames, the width, the height, and the pixel format, all separated by regular blank spaces. Uh, it's, um, it's a, uh, it's not just a codec though, Noah. No, my friend. Uh -huh. No, my friend, it's also video editing. It's designed for composing new videos. It's not necessarily designed to make small changes, because you can do that fast with a graphical editor or with FFmpeg directly. Uh, but it's for creating videos without graphics, and it uses sRGB color space, um, and they ha they go on more and more. It doesn't support audio. They say there's no real actual... They don't see a big need for it when you're using command line uh, video editing. Yeah, yeah, okay, sure. They say uh, it's source-friendly, source so it's easier to resolve merge conflicts. Rendering can take a very long time with this approach. And one of the features is you can use Make to only render parts that have changed. That's fascinating. Think about that for a second. You only have to render the parts of your video that have changed. Right? Mm -hmm. No room for buggy GUIs. Less chance that users make a mistake without noticing it. Even old crappy computers can be used for large projects. Very easy to utilize command line image editors to modify frames. Or use your own tools. What do you think, Noah? What do you think of Blind? I like it. I think we should make it an app pick. That's what I think. You are, you are crazy. I, this is a what? ridiculous idea on its face. On The, the concept okay, of this I, is ridiculous. Stop. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. No, it's not You ridiculous. are video and editing on the command no. line. You are a madman. Now, if you want to no, talk about video encoding, no, you want to talk about cut this part, cut that part with a minute marker, maybe, but it doesn't even support audio. Okay, so here's 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 where you're wrong. I'll tell you why you're wrong. I'm going to tell you. Here's the thing. Ready for the thing? I'm, I'm ready. ready. The thing. The thing, is, the thing is, there are certain times where you have like a repetitive video editing 
workflow and everything happens exactly the same and you just want to repeat that process and i give you a perfect example uh no i know here. dude you always use this example everybody knows first one minute and five seconds of every video has to get chopped off and the last one minute and 10 seconds of every video i know i know i know and then and then after that you have to take this stock video thing and it goes right on the front this stock video thing can i stop you for a second the audio was recorded separately anyway and you're making simultaneous changes on the audio it doesn't actually need to edit the audio you just gotta bro 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 i'm gonna let you finish i'm gonna let you finish but, uh, but Beyonce you, had the best Linux. You, you just time. you just co-hosted the Unfilter show. There's like 115 video clips, an episode of exactly what you just described, and I do it every day. No. I clip them. Yeah, no. I only no. take this minute to this minute. I don't alter yes, anything about else about know, it. But it's different every time, though. The minute marker thing is different every time. It's not. It's not exactly removing the first one minute and five seconds, and exactly removing. Well, here's the it, thing, like, Noah. It, Either way, right. I won because the beard owes me a sandwich now because we bet that he, I said that you would totally be into this, and he said that no way, common sense and practicality will prevail. Even Noah will not find this to be a good idea, and I was right. You did think it was a good idea, so therefore I think I won the sandwich. Either way, Chris happy. I, I the, the conversation. Because Rikai was like, Rikai literally, and how often does this happen? Literally laughed out loud when he read the premise. Like he was, he thought it was so ridiculous. He actually <laughs> laughed out loud. He was looking at his phone and laughs out loud. There are people that edit in the command line. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. We know him. We know the guy. Listen, we know that listen, guy. <laughs> listen, we don't. We don't need your stinking graphical gooies. We got sure show. It's a good command line program. Oh. You can't see that by Nobody ever line. makes a mistake in the middle of the presentation that needs to be cut out. That never happens. There we go. So there now. Now you can see here how tough my. <laughs> oh my, my God! Is my, this happening? My britches are now. <laughs> I gotta tell you, we edit. We edit them videos in the command line, and we don't have any news. Your graphical nonsense, okay? Can you use a graphical video editor over SSH, SSH in DigitalOcean Droplet? <laughs> I think so. I that, think you can do that. You need to power the command line to do this. I could have a faster yeah, editing rig. Is that George Bush? What? I don't know. <laughs> I think that was George Bush. I think George just Bush just stopped by to talk about video editing. <laughs> We're good here. Tide comes in, tide comes out. Let's go live! <laughs> Okay. All right, hey, I'm Noah. Okay. All right. right. Now, get right. your headphones on straight. Hold on. Get your headphones on straight. Right. All right. Come on, 1960s. Let's go. Right. Hey, quit screwing around. Okay. Quit. Right. Hey. Is that hey. Better? Better? Damn it. Would you okay. quit screwing around? It's time yeah. for the news. All right.